You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Emily. I'm Melina. We're part of Your Future Is Our Business, which is a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that provides career exploration opportunities such as expos, panels, guest speakers, and more activities to help students ages 10 to 18 explore careers. You're listening to our show, What to Be, where we interview and highlight the career journeys of inspirational people in Santa Cruz County. If you've ever thought, hmm, how did they get that job? Or what is that job really like? Then keep on listening. We would like to remind listeners that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or Your Future Is Our Business. Please note that information provided during this program does not reflect this career in its entirety. Today we're joined by our guest, Antonio Gallardo, who is a liberal studies adjunct professor at CSUMB. First of all, can you tell us about your background and then how you got into this career? Sure. Um, my career path to being a professor at CSUMB is pretty unconventional, um, and I suspect that uh, will fit well within the confines of this show. I had no intentions on becoming a professor, wow. um, and my family history has no signs of educators at all. Mm-hmm. It was really just um, fate, perhaps, and just the journeys that um, lives take. What are your main responsibilities as being a professor? Sure. Well, the cornerstone of what I do and my favorite part of being a professor is the face-to-face class time that I have with undergraduate students at CSUMB that have typically transferred from, um, in your case, Santa Cruz County, you know, Cabrillo Mm. Community College, uh, feeds right into once you do your traditional two years of community college, then you have the option of becoming a CSUMB student. And a lot of growing numbers of students are applying from uh, Cabrillo. So I am really the first face that they see in the classroom if they choose to take um, classes within the liberal studies department, um, which, by the way, I should add, is a curriculum for future educators. So if students are interested in a career in education, then they take liberal studies courses and they end oh. up in one of my classes. Okay. What kind of skills would you say you use for your job? You know, that that's, that's, a, that's a loaded question. Um, you know, the, the skills that I bring to the classroom and what's necessary, I think, is, is a little bit different than than the average humanoid. Um, so much of what I do in the classroom and the philosophy that I bring in to the class structure is very different because um, it's really a reflection of my own history and my journey. So I really splice what I come out of, my journey, the, my struggles in short. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, formulate my curriculum based on that because I am finding that in, in this day and age, even though I grew up in a different set of circumstances in a different generational set than my students, there are an enormous amount of similarities Mm -hmm. that come from dissecting my history and injecting the key components into the curriculum that I use in my classroom. For example, mental health issues, issues with Mm -hmm. anxiety in in, in the communities that I teach are profound. Um, In fact, I would argue there's an epidemic of anxiety disorder type of uh, mental health issues. And look no further than my own history. Mm -hmm. Growing up um, under a single mother, a father was an alcoholic, completely, completely raised in poverty, not understanding the English language. So many struggles that it caused an enormous amount of anxiety that I had to eventually overcome. And so years Mm -hmm. later, when I was able to navigate that, 
Um, lo and behold, I end up in a classroom full of students. Guess what? Facing the same Facing issues. Facing the same issues, right? So when I teach a text, I tend to really look at my own life and the life of my students, and I merge those lives together, mm-hmm. and then I move forward. A little unconventional, very unorthodox, mm-hmm. but very explosive. But it's very personal. It's very yeah. personal. And is so personal. Exactly. And I think, and therein lies my philosophy. Education for me is, a, is the most personal of endeavors. Yeah. I'm sure it helps students that you can relate to. Relate. You said the key word. Relatability is really the crux and the cornerstone of what I do. And and I think that's, without being too critical of other professors, that's the first thing that goes out the window. Mm -hmm. A professor comes in, takes a a book. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Teaching in a vacuum. And then students, the first thing they generally do is check out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And and, and me, I close that text, if I even use one. Mm -hmm. And and I, I talk to them about just the things that I'm telling you now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I give them a sense, a very clear sense of what I come from, mm-hmm. right? The struggles and the obstacles. And then when we're able to merge together as a unit professor uh, and actually removing the professor title, right? Mm-hmm. This human being comes from something that's extraordinary. And, and it's not until you, my students, uh, reinterpret your life as such, we're not going to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So until you realize how good you are, Oh. Mind blown there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of training, education, or uh, experience did you need or have for your current job? Sure. Technically, or yeah, yeah, let, let, yeah, let's not go technical. For me, the struggles and the obstacles that I had to face that were put before me, and more importantly, that I overcame, for me, are the prerequisites for being a good professor. There's something about my father leaving me before I was even in kindergarten. There's something about that phenomenal experience that I really believe to my core makes me the best of professors. Mm-hmm. And then technically, what, what kind of training did you have? Yeah, technically, uh, it's a thing <laughs> called a doctorate. <laughs> Which actually, you know, I'm not gonna lie, it, it, it does take years of study. Mm-hmm. It's a formal curriculum. Mm-hmm. And, and that came after, you know, the community college experience, that came after the undergraduate experience, and that came after the graduate study experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, seven years later, I earned my doctorate. And then typically in the state of California or throughout universities in the world, a doctorate is generally what's, what's, what's needed. Not totally necessary, but mm-hmm. it, it's kind of the standard, you know. And what did you study in junior college and Yes, that's a good question. Well, I had no idea. <laughs> like many youngsters. <laughs> yeah. I see you two laughing so you can identify. See, we're already, there's a certain level of, of relatability going on between mm-hmm. the interviewer mm-hmm. and the interviewee. I had no idea what I was doing um, in community college. And I had no idea what I wanted to do or wanted to be. I was completely clueless. But what's interesting, and, and if I may share a side story, the only reason I was in community college is because, well, a, a backstory. I was a sailor. Oh, really? Wow. Back in the day. Yeah, I was a sailor. And you know how they say that uh, a sailor has a girlfriend in the airport? You might have heard this rumor. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kind of true. <laughs> and Did you name your boat after her? No. Tragically, one of those girlfriends got pregnant. And if you recall, my father left me under very yeah. traumatic circumstances. He was a violent alcoholic mm-hmm. and did a lot of harm, much of which I'm still trying to recover from today. Mm-hmm. Long story short, when I found out that my girlfriend was pregnant, I had an existential moment that has been with me to this very moment. And it was that thing inside of me that said, look, you are at a crossroad in your life. Mm -hmm. And I've never been so scared in my life. 
And my entire life changed at that very moment that I realized that I was soon to have a son. And so I got myself into a position where I could be the best person that I could be. And the first step that I decided to take was community college. I surmised that a responsible father probably has an education. What did I know, yeah. right? But I took a shot at it. Yeah. So before you made that decision, what were you like as a teen? Um, wanderlust. Is that the word in English? By the way, English is my second language. So bear with me. I think it's called a wanderlust. Is that like when you want to travel? It's somebody that roams the world and has no objectives or purpose in the world. Kind of what, <laughs> so, what, they, what they now brand or... the, uh, what do they call those? Millennials. Um, really? I, I, was the, I was the original millennial. <laughs> right? Being beat about the head and ears for not having purpose and meaning and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's ultimately what led me to graduate barely, barely graduate high school. Which is interesting because now I'm Dr. Gallardo yeah. and I inhabit the classrooms of the world. <laughs> Telling myself out of high school that I'd never step foot inside of a classroom as long as I lived. I wouldn't lower myself. I hated school. But that's another story for and another time. And now you're teaching. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. So life is funny, right? Yeah. And, and that's really, that's the other sense that I bring to the classroom is just this sense of serendipity. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think that we all are, if we carefully look and unpack our living within. Mm-hmm. Life is very serendipitous. If you, if you care to interpret it that way. For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What To Be at KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm Melina, and I'm joined by our other host, Emily. We're speaking with Antonio Gallardo, who is a liberal studies adjunct professor at CSUMB. And I wanted to ask you, what is your typical week like as a professor? And That's a good question. Uh, you know, in that regard, it's, um, you know, it's whatever you make it. Professors have a lot of, uh, I believe, flexibility and leeway, depending on the level of professorship that you're in. I'm fortunate enough to be, um, and I mean this in the true sense of the word, I'm fortunate enough to be in the lower rungs of, of what's called an adjunct professor. So that means that I, I'm not totally confined to going to these, what I consider just boring us meetings. <laughs> day after day, week after week, month after month. So I skip those conveniently. And I work on really trying to foment a sense of inspiration that I'm going to then bring into the classroom, if that makes any sense. So I do things in my life that inspire me. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to uh, do things spiritually that lend themselves to becoming the kind of person that can walk into that classroom mm-hmm. and just explode inside of my students' mm-hmm. minds. So while other professors might be in a meeting trying to figure out what text they're going to teach, I'm out there picking flowers, <laughs> you know, or spending time with my son in a 1971 Volvo P1800, <laughs> right? A classic yeah. car. You might have noticed that I love classic cars, right? So doing things that are meaningful for me, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. life hasn't always had meaning for me. And one of the things that I've learned, one of my fundamental truths is without meaning and purpose, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I try to do those things during my week. Again, I'm very unorthodox. Um, that that really add a dimension of meaning and purpose. What made you want to teach college as opposed to high school or middle school? Or like, what about college made you want to be a professor? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think I and just woke up one day. Did you and try I, teaching middle school or um, high school? Or? I, I did actually, I did. You know, a, a funny story, and I think this is a long-winded answer to your question. When, when I was a young man, remember I told you I got a girl pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I, I did due diligence and got myself into school. And that was an epic journey. But the short of it is that um, 
I learned that contrary to what I believed, I was actually really, really, really good at school. Really good. Mm -hmm. Like extraordinary. But what made good. you think that you weren't or because the school system that I went through as a young person of color, a mm -hmm. Mexican, Mexican American, was very disastrous. It did a lot of harm to me. And uh, it it made me feel that I was not worthy. Mm -hmm. And it made me think that I wasn't a good student. The grades reflected it. And everything about my school experience told me that I was a substandard student. Mm -hmm. And I believed it. I drunk the Kool-Aid. And it wasn't until my girlfriend got pregnant that I got myself back into the game and I realized that was a crock. It was all a lie. Mm -hmm. I'm better than I thought. And that's the kind of philosophy that I bring into the classroom today. Because that's the kind of society that you live in. It has you second guessing yourself. And yeah. it does disastrous things to your soul and your spirit. Mm -hmm. I forgot the question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but if you remind me, I'll get to the answer. It was just like, what made you want to teach oh, college? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, here's the, here, here's the rest of the story. So fast forward, I, I end up transferring to a university. And through trials and tribulations, I end up getting married to mm -hmm. the mother of my child. That's another story. <laughs> uh, full of discrimination and prejudice, by the way. Mm. I survived that, but not before I uh, ended up being left um, by my wife, who ended up taking my um, two boys from where we were living in Europe at the time, in Germany, oh. um, back to the United States. And I was under contract in the military. Oh. And I could not... Um, I, basically, I was torn away from my two boys. Mm. And if you remember anything about me, that was my whole life's work, yeah. is to be that father that my father wasn't. Mm. So I fought tooth and nail to get back to the United States, broke my contract, almost ended up in jail wow. um, with a dishonorable discharge. In fact, I have what's called a other than honorable discharge, oh. a conduct on becoming an officer. Interesting. Because of the decisions that I made to go back to be a father rather than be a commissioned officer, an infantry officer, whose life mission it was to close with and destroy the enemy, mean, mean, kill people. I chose to be a father instead of Anyways, I get back to the United States. <laughs> Wise choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, things aren't so clear always in life, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, because actually, as an officer, it is an honor and a privilege to do what you do. Mm -hmm. And to not do that is a very, very disgraceful thing. So you wouldn't know it, but um, I came out of there very wounded and in, in a very disgraced manner in the eyes of um, the government and my country. And it's still the relationship that I'm still trying to work out to this day. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mad at Sam, as they say. <laughs> Anyways, so I get back to the United States. I'm unemployed. I'm homeless. But I know that I want to be a good father and I want contact with my children. But unfortunately, my soon-to-be ex-wife was having none of it. And she wouldn't let me see my uh, children. And I thought, well, what's a father to do? So did you find some children in the classroom? Is Close. that where you're leading to? That's where I'm going. Well, where do kids go when they're not at home and they're young in yeah. first grade? They school. go to school. And where can I see my children? I go to the oh. local school, as I remember it. And so I was able to have contact with my son, who was then, by then, kindergarten, first grade. And that's, oh. so I inhabited the, the hallways and the perimeters of the schools that he went to. That's clever. It, 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 you know <laughs> what? It, it is clever in a kind of, it's a bittersweet kind of story. But the short of it is that that's what got me into teaching. Oh. Because one year, I ended up at a school called Cherryland in Hayward, where my son was attending, I believe it was first grade. 
Um, and um, one thing led to another, and I ended up in the office of the school. And lo and behold, the principal finds out that I have a bachelor's degree. And back at the time, there was a critical shortage of teachers in the state of California, and actually there still is now. Mm-hmm. And she realizes I have a bachelor's degree, which is the bare minimum to be in the classroom as a substitute. And one of her teachers was going out on maternity leave, or not maternity leave, she was going out on a um, surgical procedure. And she asked me if I wanted to step in and be the teacher. I had no idea what I was doing, by the way. (laughs) I'd never even been, and as you know, my reasons for being around the elementary school were kind of disingenuous. It wasn't because I wanted to be a teacher, I just wanted to be near my son. So I say yes, immediately. The next day, I walk into the classroom, and who's in the back sitting there? Your son? My son. (laughs) And I thought to myself, can I cry in this interview? Is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) I thought, I just had a moment, you know, and as his eyes got this big, and he went to say, Dad! I said, shut up. <laughs> Let's keep this under wraps. <laughs> Anyways, I think about months later, yeah. you know, there I was, closest to my son as I could ever be. Mm-hmm. And I never, ever left his side to this very day. In fact, he's with me here in the interview today. Yeah. He's 25 years old. <laughs> Beautiful story. <laughs> um, and so you went from kindergarten, right? Did you move on up as he grew up? Um, you know, he was in first grade. Yeah, you know what? They couldn't get rid of me after that. <laughs> they couldn't get rid of me. You're he, like, oh, uh... I'm going to go to second grade now. Third yeah, grade. yeah. And, and the long-winded answer to your question is that was my segue into the classroom oh. because I took on that, I think it was a long-term substitute position. And uh, once I ended that, I started filling in from teachers that would go out because I ended up getting a pretty good reputation in that school. So any teacher that would go out on leave or take a day off, guess who filled in? So I was always around my son, and eventually I became what's called a parent liaison, which is a position that they staff at the school on a permanent basis that does basically outreach with parents. Mm-hmm. The point I'm trying to make is that that was my segue into education. Mm-hmm. And I never really stopped studying after the community college experience, because remember, two things are happening in my life. I'm becoming a good father, what I think is becoming a good father, but I'm also getting an education, a formal education. And so by then I was finished with my bachelor's degree and I just kept going into my um, graduate studies, what's called your master's degree. But remember, under the auspices that I just want to be near my son. And I'm realizing that education is giving me that opportunity Mm -hmm. to be close to the thing that I love most, which is my son. So I just kept going and I never stopped. And so I ultimately earned my doctorate after that. And uh, then I thought, you know, I've made it this far. I enjoy teaching. I hate the bureaucracy of becoming a credentialed teacher because there's so many hoops you got to go through, and I'm not that kind of guy anyways. So I figured, why not I just get my doctorate? Mm-hmm. Education has given me such a, you know, an opportunity. Um, why not just continue with it? So I went to the pinnacle of it all, and now I'm a doctor mm-hmm. of education. Amazing. <laughs> For those who are just tuning in, you're listening to What To Be at KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm Melina, and I'm joined by our other host, Emily. We're speaking with Antonio Gallardo, who is a liberal studies adjunct professor at CSUMB. And I wanted to ask you, so you were just about to mention hoops that our teachers have to jump through. What are those hoops? Yes. Um, it, it, by the way, I should add, from here on out, it's opinion. This is my experience. Yeah. You know, it's not objectively true that what I'm saying is just that. I found that to become a teacher, which was actually a goal at the time, 
was just filled with pitfalls, what I call bureaucratic pitfalls. So I ended up taking a test called the CBEST, uh, California Basic Educational Skills Test. I failed it. And that was, uh, for me, just a major blow, you know, because I come from a history of failing tests yeah. <laughs> as an as a, as a almost dropout, right? Mm. So it just kind of triggered the, the educational trauma that I had already suffered. So, and again, the, the CBEST is just one of many what they call now standardized tests that one needs to take to become a credentialed teacher. You have to go through at least a year of formal study after your um, bachelor's degree. Um, and within that formal year of study, it's a very rigorous, rigorous program filled with other standardized tests. And I reasoned and figured, well, shoot, I can't even pass this basic skills test. And there's reasons for that, by the way. They're culturally biased tests, mm. we've come to find out. And um, other underlying reasons why people of color tend not to pass those tests, mm -hmm. right? But I surmised, hey, I'm done with it. I'm just, if they don't want me as a teacher, because I saw it as kind of a barrier. Mm -hmm. I yeah. saw it as the system telling me, look, here's a test that's keeping mm -hmm. you from becoming what you want. And mm -hmm. I just didn't want to play the game anymore. So um, I chose to go through uh, an educational path that would get me into the classroom in a way that was less restrictive. And becoming a doctor, believe it or not, in my eyes, was more efficient than to jump oh, wow. through the hoops of becoming a teacher with all these standardized tests mm -hmm. and all these criteria mm -hmm. and these standards that you had to meet, mm -hmm. right? And so, yes, it took me seven years to earn my doctorate, <laughs> but I did it in a way that was really uh, what I consider not intrusive, mm -hmm. right? They didn't have all these standardized tests and all these formal uh, standards and criteria that you have to fulfill to become a teacher. And guess what? I'm a teacher. <laughs> a professor is a fancy word for a teacher, just mm -hmm. at a higher level institution like in a, a university. Mm -hmm. oh, Leading off of that, um, like what was the hiring process to become a professor? Yes, yes, that, that's good. Um, so I gambled right. Um, <laughs> I didn't have to take any more formal tests. When I finished my doctorate, um, one of the first things I did is I took advantage of an opportunity teaching with uh, the Prison University Project, which is based out of uh, San Quentin. And essentially, it brings education to prisoners. And so I volunteered for that program, and it exposed me to a classroom, albeit in a prison, so that I could start getting my feet wet teaching adults um, at the college level. Then I heard that there was a need for adjunct professors, which I currently am now, at the University of California at Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. I emailed the chair, and they quickly noted that I had a doctorate. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Hired. I taught my first class at UC Santa Cruz yeah. formally mm -hmm. and had an incredible a transformative experience uh, doing so. So compare that, mm -hmm. right, to all these pitfalls and obstacles that I would have had to encounter getting that teaching credential, night and day. So how did you go from the University of California to CSUMB? Yes, good question. So... Uh, and what are the biggest differences between the two? Sure, sure. So uh, UCSC is a University of California, mm -hmm. um, and CSUMB is a California State University. And that's, that's the fine difference between the two. What I noticed to be an issue and the difference between them is the pressure to publish um, is mm -hmm. much more pronounced at the University of California level, right? And so my goal at the time was to become what's called a tenured track professor, which is a permanent part of the professorial faculty, but quickly realized that I didn't have a lot of um, chutzpah for publishing at that point because I had just been through this rigorous uh, process that's called a dissertation, yeah. which is a 
in my case, I think over a hundred pages of writing and I basically I was burnt out yeah. <laughs> of writing and any thought of publishing was just nauseous, made me, made me <laughs> nauseous. So I quickly left UC Santa Cruz, right? And, and went over to CSUB, CSUMB thinking that I could um, uh, teach and, and maybe become a tenure track professor that way. But can't come to find out that there are still requirements uh, for publishing and a lot more, a lot more criteria um, to become a tenure track professor. And I just didn't want to play ball. And so I had to forego, at least for the moment, thoughts of becoming a tenure track professor. And I stayed in what's called a category called an adjunct professor, which is essentially a part-time uh, mm -hmm. professor. If you could go back and do anything on your career path differently, would you? That's a very good question. Uh, no. No, I'm just, I'm just now coming to terms that with the fact that Life has laid everything out for me just as it needed to. And uh, I have to settle with the notion that I did the best I could. And I'm still doing the best I, I can. What advice would you give to people who want to be a teacher in this era? Honestly? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be aware of the criteria and the standards and the things that you have to do concretely, formally, specifically. In other words, what you're up against in order to achieve your goal. And then take sober stock in yourself and an inventory and realize whether you have the energy and are seriously committed to accomplishing your goals of meeting those standards and that criteria and going through that formal educational process because it's a rigorous one and it will tax you. Um, and if that's the case, then go forward. Uh, but not before realizing, you know, it's going to take a lot of energy and um, being centered, being balanced in yourself um, and knowing that's what it is that you want. And our last question that we have for you is, what advice would you give to someone who's about to graduate from high school or college? That's another very good question. It's a loaded question. Um, you know what's funny is I get, um, I think my students have the answer to that question, actually. In, in, in five years, at least, of teaching at the university level and having um, recently graduated high school students, I'm learning that a lot of those students, like me back in the day, have no idea what they want to do and no clue as to why they're even there. <laughs> and, you know, the advice that I give them is kind of the advice that I gave myself back then, is trust yourself. Take stock in yourself. Realize um, how good you are. At least for me, that was the mantra. Um, because the experiences that I went through as a young man in high school left me feeling at a deficit, that I wasn't that good. It challenged my self-esteem. It really aided my confidence. And so for me, post-high school and high school was really a challenge for me in realizing that I am good for this and anything that I choose to apply myself to. But because of some of the challenges of modern-day society, such as the public education school system, at least the way I experienced it, it's really about recovering recovering from the ills of institutionalized um, public education and also surviving the societal framework mm -hmm. that so many young people are coming out of, as you know, that's laden with drug use, um, mental health issues. And that's not entirely their fault, right? The conditions in the society are such that the um, dissolution of the family fabric and the unit is, is really... Uh, prevalent right now in certain sectors. Well, I end up getting those students, 
right, that barely survived, mm -hmm. like I did so long ago, their childhood, and are still licking their wounds, right, not just educationally, but societally. And then I take those students and I educate them in the best way that I know how. But the advice to them is realize that it's not you. It's the context and the environment that you come out of that has you feeling yourself, doubting yourself. And once we can get through that and over that and realize what a crap show, right, <laughs> your, your confines have been for you, mm -hmm. then we can move on. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today, but that was some incredible advice. Thank you again to all of our KSQD listeners for tuning into today's career story with your hosts, Melina and Emily, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Antonio Gallardo, who is an adjunct professor in the Liberal Studies Department at CSUMB. If you have any questions or would like to be on the show, send us an email at whattobe at ksqd.org. If you enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays or stream online at ksqd.org. Thank you again for listening.